Yo, Integrity Radio. This is Chad Sifu. And <laughs> you're just talking about, uh, you know, a whole blessy thing. And something more more offensive than that is, uh, I will pray for you. So I actually posted a segment about praying gets nothing done a couple days ago. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and repost it. All right, Chad's been putting up some really good segments uh, that I'll be echoing here. This one coming up is awesome. She's found in her research that people are using their intelligence not to get to the truth, but to change the data to what they already believe. Brilliant. Now, this is nothing new to us right here, right now, and today, but... It is confirmation to what we've been talking about all along here. Very good, Chad. And thank you, Ping Pang Poom. Hi, everybody. This is Z. You're listening to Integrity Radio. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. My mental download, medicine remix, everybody out there in Anchor, everybody out there on iTunes and Spotify. Be sure to favorite. Be sure to like. Be sure to share. Here in America, we're so taken aback by racism, which is kind of funny because if you think about it, we're one of the least, if not non racist, countries in the world. I, I mean, you know, compare us to Asia. You know, China, 
Japan for sure, um, and even a lot of the European countries. Uh, man, there's that racism is conventionalized, institutionalized much more than here in America. Now, there also seems to be a correlation that I actually I just thought of, and that is uh, guns, using guns for self-defense, gun ownership. That's also something that's somewhat exclusive here to America. Of course, Jim Crow laws were the laws where only blacks weren't allowed to have firearms. So I find this kind of interesting. I haven't thought about it much. So, yeah, we need to fix racism in America, but I don't think we have a racism problem in America. Not when you compare us with other countries. Theaters, the $60 billion plus pet products industry is lapping up profits and spawning a new wave of entrepreneurs. We make harnesses, dresses, life jackets, backpacks. Ronnie DeLulo turned from computer programmer to pet product titan, creating goggles for dogs called doggles used for everything from sun protection to style. It's now a $3 million a year business. Veterinarian Tim Shu has created a line of medical marijuana products for pets, sold in... Number six, doggles. These were invented by Ronnie DeLulo in 1997 because her dog couldn't see the Frisbee very well due to the bright sun outside. These have a tent that block out harmful light so a dog can see and play at the same time. You're listening to Integrity Radio. My name is Z. Join me and my wife, Ronnie, as we explore the objective meaning behind human integrity. Perhaps together, we can all respectfully discover and implement more integrity into our lives. Enjoy. Thought he was buying a present, and Spadger and I had already got the other one. Well, it's, it's beautiful. 
I think we'd better get the cover now, oh, and I'll thank him probably later on. Corporal Sturridge got this for you as well, sir. He didn't know about the others, sir. It's Swiss. Oh, well, now that is Corporal Sturridge. Good man. And there's a card, sir, from all of us. Sorry about the blood, sir. Thank you all. Squad, three cheers for Captain Biggs. Hip hip! Hooray! Hip hip! Hooray! Hip hip! Oh, there's just one other thing, sir. Spudge, give him the check. Oh, yeah. Oh, now, this is really going too far. Oh. I'll go to be able to find it, sir. Uh, bin, bin number four, Trench. Oh, for Christ's sake, forget it, man. You shouldn't have said that, sir. You've hurt his feelings now. Don't mind me, Spudge. Toss is all the same. One minute, so please and thank you. The next, I'll kick you in the teeth. Yeah. Oh, let's not give him the cake. I don't want any cake. Look, Blackett got this specially for you, you bastard. Yeah, he saved his rations for six weeks, sir. No, I don't mean to be ungrateful. I'll be all right. Blackett! Look at him. He worked on that cake like no one else I've ever known. Some nights it was so cold we could hardly move. But Blackett be out there slicing the lemons, mixing the sugar and the almonds. I mean, you tried trying to get butter to melt at 15 degrees below zero. There's love in that cake. This man's love. And this man's care. And this... Oh, my Christ. You bastard. All right. We will eat the cake. They're right. It's, it's too good a cake not to eat. Get the plates and knives, Walter. Get her. How many plates? Six. Uh, no, better make it five. Tablecloth, sir. Yes, get the tablecloth. Him any money, not a nickel. How many times you took the garbage out already first? Clean up the yard. You don't want nothing. This is a beautiful person. There hasn't been one guard like that. Every guard always stuck around for look what I did for you. Or his friends tell you what worked. Yes. Wait a minute, mask man. We got a present for you, mask man. Did you give him any money? I didn't give him a nickel. You either. Good at your schmuck. You ain't got a quarter. I'm telling you. He don't take nothing. He don't even take thank you. They all take. He don't take, I'm telling you. Hi-ho! Mask man! Mask man! Wait a minute! You're talking to Wait a minute! Mask man, wait a minute, you asshole! Wait a minute! I'm tired of his horse shit now. And that's the third time I made a present for him, he ran off. I don't mind for me, but my ma, she made coffee and cake and everything. That bastard, is he kidding? Was he too good for everybody? He saw the only that came out, he's made coffee and cake, and that schmuck rides off. 
And he laughed at us, I'm telling you. He went, I don't have like that. He's no good, I'm telling you. The fink. Bastard, I hate it. He saw the old lady came out with arthritis. Here, send the coffee, coffee for you. I'm going to get him, I'll get him. I don't want to hear that shit. He's a nice guy. He's not a nice guy. If he's a nice guy, how come he leaves bullets for everybody? I don't care if they're silver, he leaves bullets. You know why he leaves the bullets? I'll bet you give you a Dr. Ehrlich the magic bullet, 606. What's that? Syphilis. What? Sure, that's what he's saying. He's saying in his own way that the whole world is syphilis. And that's why he rides off with his mouth coat. <laughs> he don't want no part of nobody. Ernest, I'm telling you. Hey, Pop, bring him back. I'm going to kick his ass all over the lot. Now, bring him back here right now. <laughs> Don't you move, you psychotic. Hold the gun, Ma. Masked man, what's your story, buddy? You know Mr. D'Angelo, he's hopping ass mad at you. His mommy made all them hot tatting kicks, and you run off. Run off and didn't wait for nothing. How come you're so snotty you can't accept love or thank you for nobody? Not explain if you get your goddamn hands off me, you barbarians. <laughs> the reason I never wait for thank you, see, uh... Suppose he wants that wait for thank you. Thank you, mad man. What's that? Thank you, mad man. Thank you, masked man. Now, damn it, I like that. Let's hear it once again, son. Thank you, mad man. Thank you, masked man. Isn't that sweet? Help! Get the masked man! We're in trouble! I'm a little busy now. I'm getting a few thank yous. Masked man, help! Help! We're being robbed! Get the masked man! Don't break my balls now. I help two people a lot. I'm entitled to take one week off to get some thank yous. You're not going to get nothing if you keep it up. All right, let's have it again. Thank you, mass man. I'm going to get a book. That's all. Screw these people. I'll get a thank you, mass man book. I'll put it in the book. And I'm old. They'll say, you in the shingle business? Ah, well, you think I was always in the shingle business? Look at this. Thank you, mass man. Leo Carrillo, Freeport, Long Island. Look at all the thank you, mass man. I'm going down to the mailbox and see the thank you, mass man man's been here today. Yeah, he's okay. A lot of good things to say. You know, he's, the, he's not the whole brains. After all, the outfits. A lot of other people work very hard. Paul, Luke, and all them people. Someone's been fooling with my mail. I know it. Someone's fooling with my mail. Where's my thank you, mass man? There are no more thank you, mass man. The Messiah returned during the night. The Messiah? Well, what does this do with me? Well, you see, men like yourself, you thrived upon the continuance of segregation, violence, and disease. Now the Messiah has returned all is pure. You're in the shithouse. <laughs> well, then I'll make trouble. Because I'm geared for it. And I must have a thank you, mass man. And that's why I always ride off and never wait for thank you. Damn, you show up and talk some shit, buddy. <laughs> I got a damn headache. My head hurts me. What the hell are you talking about? Thank you, Madman. Leo Carrillo, Freeport, Long Island. Look, I work for the city. You know what I mean, buddy? I got a job to do. Now, look, I'm here to see you accept a present. Just one present. Do it for the kids. We'll get the hell out of here. What do you say? All right, for the children, I'll do it. Give me no ashtrays. Anything I want? Anything. Just take it, buddy. Whip or doll, any of them things up on the top shelf. shelf. I tell you what, anything? Give me that Indian over there. Who's that, Tonto? Yes, Tonto. I want Tonto the Indian. <laughs> the hell are you talking about? You can't have Tonto. Bullshit, you made the deal, that's what I want. I want Tonto the Indian. You're gonna get you Tonto, buddy. His name ain't Tonto, it's Tonto. What do you want Tonto for? To perform an unnatural act. To what? To perform an unnatural act. Oh, the masked man's a fag. Ah. Ah. The fag man. Ah, the dirty fag, you dang queer, you. The masked fag man. Ain't that a kick in the ass? But you get mascara under that damn mask, ain't you? 
A dang queer. I never knew you a fag, masked man. I'm not a fag, but I've heard a lot about it and read exposés. I want to try it now to see how bad it is. Just once. I like what they do with fags anyway. The punishment is quite correct. They throw them in jail a lot of men. Very clever. <laughs> Wash them up and get them ready. Uh, tell you what, give me the horse, too. What do you want that horse for? For the act. Ah. Disgusting fag. He's a dang queer freak. Ah. Disgusting fag.
If you want to be awe-inspired, ladies and gentlemen, and let me say, let me just tell you that those of us who do not believe we are divinely created, let alone divinely supervised, are not immune to the idea of awe and beauty and the, the transcendent. Let me invite you to look for a moment at the pictures taken by the Hubble telescope. Some of you may have done it. If you haven't done it now, well, yet do it soon. The extraordinary revelations of, 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 of swirling, yet somehow beautiful new galaxies uh, in, in color and depth and majesty like nothing I think the human eye has ever seen. Turn away from that if you wish and, say, and gaze at a burning bush in an illiterate desert part of the Middle East and say that that's where revelation comes from. I don't believe you'll be able to do it. Or read a page of Stephen Hawking on the absolute magnificence and, and consistency and underlying beauty. As Einstein says, the great miracle of, of physics is there are no miracles. It all, it all carries on holding together all the time. There are no interruptions in its order. There are no suspensions of it just to please Joshua or just to please uh, some sect or tribe or group. No, it's much, much, much more impressive than that. Hawking has a colleague who looks at the event horizon of the black hole. If you could travel towards a black hole, not yet possible to do, if you could, in theory, the event horizon is the point at which the black hole is pulling everything into itself. So over into the black hole goes light itself. It's so strong it can pull light back into itself. It's really awe-inspiring. A lot more say than a crowd of pigs infested by devils running down a hill into the sea, which is a piece of sorcery and cheap magic of the sort that shouldn't impress any thinking person. Think about a black hole instead. Pulling the light into itself, the event horizon just reorganizing nature. So that if you could get to that lip, the lip of that event horizon, and fall in and go in, you could in theory see the past and the future stretching before and in front of you. You would see time, except you wouldn't have the time to do it, of course, if you were, mere, if you were a mere primate as we are. But Hawking has a colleague who says if he knew he was dying of a terminal illness, that's how he'd want to go out, is over the lip of the event horizon. That would be majesty. That would be magnificence. That would be awe-inspiring. That would be apocalyptic. So it's in the natural world, it's in the world of science and the world of innovation and discovery and doubt, we wouldn't have discovered any of these things if we'd taken the religious story for granted to begin with. We would have said we already know enough. We know. God made this. God wants it this way. What's the need for inquiry? We already have all the information we need. The big difference between this side of the house, mine, and the other, is this. I am absolutely certain that I do not know, but that it might be possible to find out, and that doubt and skepticism and innovation and inquiry are the only means by which wonder and beauty and awe and symmetry will be discovered and beyond those peaks we can yet see, new, more wonderful peaks will rise. Whereas, on the Wilson side of the house, it is said, we already have the certainty. We know that God created us, and we even claim to know his mind and what he wants of us. And I just invite you to open your minds to the possibility
but the skeptical and the inquiring and the doubtful will be better than anything that calls itself faith. Because anything that calls itself faith calls itself certainty. And for certainty, I think there is no place in an institute of intellectual mentation and higher education. And I'm very grateful to you all for giving me the chance to say so. Thank you. To know that today one will teach, tomorrow one will learn, this is the thing that gives us confidence that we can play any role that's given to us, yes, including sir. the role which is our own destiny, which we've got to find after all. It's not just in order to be versatile, it's yes. far beyond that. It is only the discovery of versatility is the step towards discovering our super potential. What do you mean by super potential? I mean that our ordinary faculties, our speech and thinking and so on, are not the whole of our potential. We have the possibility of other perceptions, as you know. And this is one of the remarkable things that in this relatively short time, people began to be aware that they could be in com contact with one another, they could understand one another without words. Yeah. This is the beginning of the emerging of the super potential. And I think it's particularly important at this time because with the world as it is, we're going to need other means of communication, not, not through words, yes. not from the outside. We're so jammed together that we've got to be able to understand one another and accept one another quite differently. All that belongs to the super potential. There's going to be need for new ways of understanding one another, new ways of accepting one another. We're moving into a new kind of society. We can dimly see what it's going to be and we know that we're not prepared for it. That is the, that is the crux of the whole of this educational crisis in which we are. And one of the principles of change is that we are not able to change other people, but there is a possibility that we can change ourselves, and therefore that is the possibility that we should explore and not concern ourselves with the defects of other people and the consequences of their defects in terms of social injustice and the rest. There's another principle of change, and that is that change can only be proportionate to the amount of force which is put into it. But forceful change can only be effectual and positive if there is an equal response to it. That is, revolutionary and violent change can only be destructive. And therefore, even if an enormous force for change were at our disposal, we couldn't use it suddenly or immediately without producing destruction. And th this principle of change is that one cannot change the present, but that it, there is the possibility of changing the future. And I'm going to speak in terms of these two principles. First of all, that we cannot change others, but there is a possibility of changing ourselves. We cannot change the present, but there is a possibility of changing the future. Oh, the three really very important 
steps that occurred just in my lifetime with the radio, the television, and then came the moon. It completely changes the magnitude of the thinking, and I think that's one thing that impresses me today about a young world, is that the young world has a very beautiful vocabulary in general. It came about when the radio came along. And up to this time, the parents have been the exact authorities on everything. And the way daddy pronounced things, that's the way the kids pronounced it. But suddenly, when the radio came in, the children saw dad and mom listening to the radio man. The people got their jobs on the radio, got it by good through the commonality of the diction or the esoteric way that daddy said it. This, bit, this stopped altogether the dialect development. And they, because they also got the job by virtue of the size of the vocabulary and which children are using it. They came to to express themselves. Dad and Mom didn't say to the kids that's a greater authority, but it was, it was evident, self-evident. So the children then began to emulate the talk of the radio man and not the parents anymore. That was really one of the great changes in history. They came from the ingenuity and the logic of, of, of the children themselves to recognize the better, the better tools. Just think of how important it is then to the child. I said, thinking about all tools as being extensions of integral capabilities, and the kind of good tools and, and, and conceptual tools that the children have. We're gradually hearing more and more about older people being terribly surprised that this young person has such capability. My mother would say, darling, never mind what you think, listen, we're trying to teach you. And my teachers at school said exactly the same thing because I knew my mother loved me. I did everything I could to pay no attention to what I was thinking. I felt I'm sort of a freak, and I have to learn what the game is. But that's, that's all gone. And this is one of the most fundamental changes in humanity. Sound is only 700 miles an hour and, 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 and only carries on in atmosphere. But speed of light is 700 million miles an hour and it goes on, on and on. And so the information that you get by eyesight is actually a million times what you get by ear. And so when the television came in, they suddenly had the young world, they weren't just thinking of local block and the local troubles. The young people suddenly saw dad and mom, we love them very much, but, but they don't know what's going on. <laughs> And we've got to do our own thinking. Man, when he gets to the moon, it is thinking not only world, it's thinking universe. This brought about a completely new phase of humanity. My family got sort of involved with some psychics and fortune tellers and some healers and whatnot. And I resisted it all. And I looked at it and I knew when I was being hornswoggled. I knew when I was being lied to and cheated. 
and I saw my father going for the Bates Eye method of cupping your hands over your eyes to improve his eyesight. It never did a damn thing for him, but it cost him a small fortune and took him away from regular, medica- regular medical care that could have saved his life. That is, his eyesight and eventually his life. It was a terrible period for me, but at 10 years of age, I was gutsy enough as a little kid to decide that I wasn't going to go back into the caves. Because what are these people telling you? These people with the horoscopes on the wall and the the earring and the funny hat, the fortune tellers, the astrologers and whatnot, what are they telling you? The message is clear. You are inferior. You're not a member of a proud, capable, dignified species. A great species that has done wonderful things, along with some of the mistakes, yes, but wonderful things. You need my help. Cross my palm with silver. I'll tell you the future. I'll heal you. I'll do these various things for you. That's what they're telling you. You're an inferior person. They're asking you to go back into the caves that our ancestors are said to have come from. But we've been to the moon. The hell with the caves. We've been to the moon. Oh, not anybody in this room, no. Not myself, certainly, but our species has been to the moon. And they went up there on the end of a a big rocket, and they spun around a few times, rotated around, revolved around the moon, and... uh, jumped out and the thing looked like a big phone booth on legs and they got out in funny suits and they walked around and they picked up rocks off the moon and at the Houston Space Flight Center a few weeks ago on a VIP tour that I'm very proud of I held some of those rocks in my hands oh with gloves be assured with gloves (laughs) under the very close eyes of all the security people there Folks, I held pieces of the moon from a quarter of a million miles out in space, pieces of the moon in my hand, because we went there and got them and brought them back here. And when I go all around this globe, internationally traveling as I do, I'm off to China and Australia and New Zealand within 10 days from now. As I travel around the world, I go to major museums in big cities, and I go up to the front door, I literally do this, And I stop at the front door and I say to the man there, Good morning, sir. Where do I find the moon rock? And he looks at his little book and he says, "Uh, That'll be on the fourth floor in Gallery G. And I say, Thank you, sir. And I go in and I go up to the fourth floor and I go to Gallery G. And there's a case there, a plastic case. And inside it is a bit of a rock on the end of a little pedestal. And it has a sign pointing to it in 15 languages saying, This is a piece of the moon. Wow! Do I need the astrologers when I can look at a piece of the moon and eventually even hold it in my hand? No, I don't. That's miracle enough for me right there. That's a wonderful thing that we have done. And the rest of it is, technical term I use from time to time, crapiola. And we can waste our lives and our time on that. We have done this wonderful thing. But Nazareth may be overrated as an historical site that proves the inerrancy of the Bible. Author René Somme has written The Myth of Nazareth, The Invented Town of Jesus, a book that effectively demonstrates the controversial archaeology of the town where the Bible has Jesus Christ being born. Of course, the religious faction has reacted furiously to the book, specifically in the Bulletin of the Anglo-Israeli Archaeological Society, B-A-I-A-S which devotes some 47 pages to five angry rebuttals. 
There is, we are told, an ambitious commercial enterprise presently under construction in Nazareth to rescue the facts about Jesus' hometown. It's a resort known as Nazareth Village. It is designed to eventually contain streets and several dozen stone houses inhabited by actors and storytellers in authentic garb who will illuminate the life and teachings of Jesus, a notion perhaps inspired by the phenomenal success of Disneyland, where Tinkerbell and Mickey Mouse are seen flitting and strolling about, also in authentic garb. As of ten years ago, an international consortium of Christian groups called the Miracle of Nazareth International Foundation had raised some $60 million for the project, with contributors in the U.S. such as former President Jimmy Carter, Pat Boone, and Reverend Reggie White, formerly a Green Bay Packer football star. Scholars associated with the Nazareth Village Project, Stephen Fan, Yehuda Rapuano, and Ross Voss, none of them archaeologists, now say that evidence has been discovered there for a town that existed at the time of Jesus, a settlement before the first Jewish war that took place in 70 CE. This evidence was simply lying on the open surface of the site, they say. This claim, author Psalm shows, is bogus, and it results from misdating, mislabeling, misinterpreting, and from pure invention. These artifacts and facts were somehow missed by the previous crowds of professional archaeologists who have been digging on that site for the last century. The Nazareth Village Resort lies on a 15-acre plot of land called the Nazareth Village Farm, the NVF. The scholars under discussion surveyed the farm, dug on it, and published a lengthy report in the 2007 issue of the BAIAS Journal. There is little difficulty to show that their evidence for a town there, 11 small pieces of pottery shards, actually dates as late as the 2nd century CE, and Psalm's research shows that the rest of the material from the Nazareth site dates well after the time of Jesus Christ. There simply is no demonstrable evidence from the Nazareth site that dates to the time of Jesus Christ and to Hellenistic times. In fact, one awkward fact after the other stands in the way of such a claim. For example, the Church of the Annunciation at Nazareth, the largest Christian structure in the Middle East, is a primary destination of Christian pilgrims to the Holy Land, of course. It is there that the faithful believe Mary received the Annunciation from the Archangel Gabriel at her home, but the existence of a number of tombs directly under the structure, firmly established by archaeologists, is just impossible, since, for the faithful, tombs have no place under such a structure. According to Jewish religious law, Jews cannot live in the vicinity of tombs, which are a prime source of ritual impurity. So the ancient commentary on Jewish law mandates that tombs must be located outside of the village proper. Thus, tombs under the house of Mary are denied by the tradition. These post-Iron Age tombs are also post-Jesus, Middle Roman and later, and the wealth of pottery found in them is also later. Consider, continuing pilgrimage to Nazareth, which fortifies the convictions of the true believer while supporting the community financially, depends on the sanctity and the reputation of the site. As author Psalm points out, perhaps the entire Jesus story depends on it, too. 
He also tells us not to be too surprised if remarkable finds at Nazareth conveniently appear in the next few years, finds that substantiate a settlement there at the time of Christ. In light of new evidence. to be a lumberjack, leaping from tree to tree as they float down the mighty rivers of British Columbia. The giant redwood, the larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girlie by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night, I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. I sleep all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. <laughs> On Wednesdays I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. He cuts down trees, he eats his lunch, he goes to the lavatory. <laughs> On Wednesdays we go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. I cut down trees, I skip and jump, I like to press wildflowers. I put on women's clothing and hang around in bars. He puts on trees, he skips and jumps, he likes to press wildflowers. He puts on women's clothing and hangs around in bars. He's a lumberjack and he's okay, he sits all night and he works all day. I cut down trees. So wear hard heels, suspenders, and a bra. I wish I'd been a girly, just like my dear mama. I cut down trees, wear high heels, suspenders, and a bra. I wish I'd 